Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. Four books, if you like, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, which are called Gospels. And uh, the fourth Gospel is John, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. But let me just start by saying a, a, a bit of a reflection on our world. It occurs to me that our world is a very noisy place, isn't it? Uh, it actually, you don't, uh, don't realize how little peace and quiet you get and how hard it is actually to switch off from the constant talking uh, that actually hits you. And I get the irony because I'm now talking at you. Um, but our world is full of words, isn't it? Podcasts are now the thing to have unless you're certain people um, get into trouble. Wordle has become a global phenomenon. I've got to be honest, uh, I don't know, anyone play Wordle? That's good. We're a very highbrow church. Uh, people play it. I don't play it. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, uh, I had to Google it because, uh, frankly, I like things like Candy Crush. I'm much more lowbrow. Um, so, uh, absolutely unashamed of that, to be honest. Um, but uh, somebody did say a word, or who knew yellow, green, and grey boxes could be so important? Is that funny? Is that a funny thing to say? I have no idea. Anyway, um, but there are more vo- voices than ever before in our world. Every voice that you hear is vying for your attention vying for us to click on their link, subscribe to their page, follow them and everything, everything they churn out minute after minute, week after week. Everything is vying for our attention. Follow me, listen to me, believe what I'm telling you. And many of those voices will use every single trick in the book to hook us in. People's words can seem so genuine, be it on media, social media, people you bump into into the street, people that promise you they'll love you when they don't and they end up hurting you. Words can seem so genuine in this world, but can actually be masked in quite the opposite intention to hurt us. Let me give you two stories of where I was convinced by what I thought were genuine words. The first was a long time ago. All my stories are old, by the way, not because I haven't had anything new happen. It's because there's a period of time for which I can't tell you a story because you might be in the congregation or you might know the person. So I have to wait about five or six years, and then I can... Uh, it's like a fine wine, um, I guess. But um, not that I know that because I quite like Liebfraumilch down there again. Anyway, um, not really. Um, but I remember a guy knocked at our house. We've probably been here about four years. And a guy knocked on my front door. Um, and I opened it, obviously. And, uh, and he said, uh, oh, I've just been to the local funeral directors. My father has died. And, uh, and they told me to come and see you. I said, immediately, because I'm nice. I said, it's awful. I'm really sorry. And he said one or two things that sounded really plausible. And I thought, maybe he has come from Daniel Robinson's. I know them. They know me. And I said those fateful words. Why don't you come in? He's such an idiot. Um, sorry. Um, and so he sat on my settee, and for about 15 minutes, he gave me the story. His father had died, did this, that, and the other. And then it got to the punchline. I've got to get back to Jersey, and all I need is 30 pounds. And I thought, such a fool. How could I have been so stupid? And I thought, what do I do? Because this man's in my house. I know nothing about him. So I walked him around to the cash machine, and I got out 30 pounds, and he literally ran away. <laughs> um, so, but he seemed so genuine. And I was duped, and I consider myself cynical enough for this world. Another thing that happened to me a long, long time ago, when I was about 12 years old, I was walking home from school with a group of people that I thought were my friends. I soon discovered they weren't. And as we got to a local shop halfway home, a guy gave me what looked like a bank card with a Cadbury's Cream Egg logo on the front. Some of you have heard this story before. And he said to me, there you are. And I said, oh, what? He said, this entitles you to a free Cadbury's Cream Egg anywhere in the world at any point. 
At 12 years old, Cadbury's cream eggs were about the focal point of my entire existence. That lovely milk chocolate's ruined by since the Americans have taken over. There's a nice gooey bit in the middle. I thought, this is just brilliant. Really? Anywhere? Yeah, of course. So I went into the shop like that, as you do, and I walked up to the man at the counter, and he said, yes. And I put the card down. I'll have my Cadbury's cream egg, please. What? <laughs> I said, you know, my free Cadbury's cream egg. What are you talking about? You know, this card. He sort of pushed it back. I said that this card entitles me to a free Cadbury's cream egg anywhere in the world whenever I fancy one. So, I'll have my uh, free Cadbury's cream egg, please. He said, no, you won't. I said, what do you mean? He said, there's no such thing as a card for Cadbury's cream eggs. I said, but my friend... Uh. <laughs> and then I turned around, and a group of people who I thought were my friends were finding it hilarious. And actually, at that moment, I realised that that group of friends weren't actually my friends at all. And I realized that this group that I was hanging around with actually were not my friends at all. Their words seemed so genuine, it seemed so kind. I was a guy that believed that the word uh, gullible wasn't in a dictionary, by the way, when I was that age. Um, but that's how our world is all the time, isn't it? People vying for our attention, telling us lie after lie after lie, and it is exhausting. Headlines spring up on whatever web page you open up, and it will give you a headline, such and such is furious with so and so, and you click on it thinking, ooh. And number one, it's never the person in the picture, and it's never the story they claim it's going to be. And it's exhausting, isn't it? All these people tell us, click on this, and this will happen, that will happen, and it never happens. It's all often lies. And so we're counting down to Easter. We've got a, a couple of weeks before we get to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And we're going to be looking for the next couple of weeks at the words Jesus said, the things that Jesus spoke on this earth. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, of course, lived 2,000 years ago. His words are recorded in those first Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be engaging with those words because the things he taught are still relevant to millennia later. No one else can ever make that claim. 2,000 years later, the words Jesus spoke in uh, Jerusalem and the surrounding areas are still changing people's lives. And we're going to be looking at those words because we live in a cynical world. We live in a cynical world that needs to hear truth, powerful truth, that actually is what it says it is. What it says on the tin is what it is in reality. I've been reading the teachings of Jesus, the Word of God, since I was 11 years old. I don't come from a Christian home at all. But I became a Christian at 11 because my brother invited me to church. And from that moment, I've been reading God's Word and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And for all of my um, 33 years since then, he's never let me down. When Jesus asked me to forgive my enemy, wow, it hurts. But he's always right. When he tells me to go the extra mile, I can't be bothered. But it's always the best thing to do. And I want to look at some of those things for a few weeks because we're going to get to his death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday uh, in April. But before we get there, let's just hear what he taught and then let's apply it to our lives. And the reason I want to do this is because our world needs to hear something genuine and this is the time it needs to hear it. Because Jesus never used trickery. He never used clickbait, but he spoke with sincerity. He spoke to people of all stages and walks of life when he walked this earth. Never once did he tell a lie. Never once did he say, if you listen to me, oh, this great thing will happen. He told them the truth. And the crowds of people were just hanging on his every word. And they would often say, who is this? Who is this who speaks with such authority? Because everyone in their society lied about God and lied about who they were. It's no different in the 21st century. We're full of people that say stuff that isn't true because they want our click, not our lives. 
Christ wants your life and he wants to transform it. And so, the question is though, in a world full of voices, why should you listen to those of someone that lived 2,000 years ago? It's a good question. I don't blame you for asking it. Why wouldn't you listen to someone more modern, more contemporary? Someone who's got a Twitter account, not Twitter, sorry, Instagram account, uh, and that sort of thing. Jesus was a man who lived in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. Why would you listen to him? Why is what he says of any consequence whatsoever? He's not the only person to have spoken two millennia ago. Yet we still say he's the only person that you should be listening to. I wonder if you're a Christian this morning, how might you answer that question rhetorically? How might you answer that question? Well, this is where we get to John chapter 1. If you've got John chapter 1 open, uh, why not just open it up so you can just follow along? Uh, John is a follower of Jesus, or was a follower of Jesus. He's, of course, dead now, um, because it's quite a long time ago. And he wrote the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John's gospel. Gospels are simply accounts of Jesus' life. His birth, his teaching, his actions, his death on the cross on Good Friday, and his resurrection. In fact, they spend more time talking about the end of his life than they do anything else. The word gospel, if it's a new word to you, is simply a translation of a Greek word. The New Testament's written in Greek, and it simply is a translation of a Greek word that means good news. And so these four stories, these four accounts of Jesus' life, are accounts of good news. When people read of who Jesus was and what he said, it's good stuff. It's stuff that leads you to have a transformed life if you follow him. It teaches you who God's son is and what he did for you, how he died for you, how he died for your sin and your brokenness, how he went to a cross and was nailed to it so that every bad thing you've ever done can be taken off your shoulders and placed on his. It talks of how he went to the grave. He died in our place. And then on the third day, he took death and defeated it and walked out of the grave so that anyone who trusts in him dies like he did, but without our brokenness on our own shoulders because he's paid the price. And we too will walk out of the grave into everlasting life. And these are good news. And that's why these gospels were written to tell us the story of God's only son walking on this world. John's gospel was probably written last uh, after the first three. And really, whilst he tells us about Jesus' life and the things he did and said, John is really interesting in telling us about who Jesus was. Some have described it more as a spiritual gospel. A guy called Clement of Alexander said, Last of all, John, perceiving that the external facts have been made plain, composed a spiritual gospel. And by that, it simply means that he wants to tell us who Jesus is, not just of his humanity, but his divinity. Because we believe Jesus was both fully man and fully God in the same person, and it's mind-blowing stuff. But it would explain why what he says matters 2,000 years later. And so his gospel, his account of Jesus' life in the Gospel of John opens with this amazing poem. If you were to know New Testament Greek, which hardly anyone does, I suspect, um, it's actually a poem. This is a poem written about Jesus. That's why it doesn't rhyme, because we're not Greek. Um, But if you were Greek, you'd know it rhymed. Trust me. And so he explains who Jesus is. And if John was to be asked that question, why should you listen to Jesus Christ? He would answer very simply, because he is God. Let me read the first 14 verses of John chapter 1 uh, to you. If you've got a Bible, you just follow along uh, if you'd like. But I'll read the first 14 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives life to, light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, he, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor born of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John introduces his gospel and he wants to paint a picture of who this Jesus is that we're going to listen to and see and act. He paints a picture that this Jesus is no mere man with good intentions, that he's eternal. He's been from the beginning, as in the beginning of all things, before all things. He's pre-existent. He's now incarnate to mean he's, he's kind of become like us. He's part of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John is wanting to show his readers that Jesus is the promised Messiah. For thousands of years, they promised that this king would come and save the world. And John wants to say, he's here. He's arrived. Jesus is the Messiah. But more than that, the Son of God. And he wants his readers to know one thing above all. And it's what I want all people to know above all things. That if people put their trust in this Jesus, they get to have eternal life. At the end of his gospel, he writes this. It says, Jesus performed other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus who? Well, according to John, Jesus, the one that we're going to listen to and the lead up to Easter, is all these things. John wants us to know he's the creator of everything. The Bible says the world was made for him and through him. Nothing that was made has not been made except for Jesus. At the beginning of the universe, Christ was there. The Father designed the Son made, made through him. Every life that's ever been lived, Jesus is the creator of. He's the creator of everything. He's not created. He's the creator. In him is life. He has life with inside, with inside himself that he can give to other people. Once you get past the age of 25, you realize that everything's starting to start to go like that. When you hit nearly 44, which I am soon, April 27th, um, it seems to be accelerating. I say, this is a test for new people, so you buy me a present. But it just get more and more older. <laughs> and less and less cool, I was informed this week, which I was very hurt by. Um, but life, we think life, we cling on to it. But we can't hang on to it, can we? It's going the way it goes, but Christ has life within himself. And those that put their faith in him get to have this everlasting life, not this mortality, this immortality, where we can live forever. It talks of having the light. He has light, light that shines in the darkness. Darkness has not overcome it. That light, the illusion of light in the Bible is used in so many ways. 
Firstly, about pure knowledge. This light that he shines on the world is true and genuine. It's a knowledge of what's good, not what's uh, popular. It's it's the light of moral purity. When Jesus enters a situation, the morality goes up because we get to do what's right. We get out the cycle of doing what's bad. And sometimes that image of light refers to the presence of God. In the Old Testament, God is a God of light. When God's there, light is everywhere. That light shines in the darkness. Christ, when he enters your life, shines a light of life into all those dark corners. We've all got that dark corner that we hide from everyone. And Jesus, and it's uncomfortable, but he shines his light into that corner of that heart because he wants to sweep it out and tidy it up and turn the lights on so you haven't got to be ashamed anymore. He's also the truth John wants us to know. He comes to speak the truth about God, about what he is to live in this broken world, about what life is really about. We waste so much time chasing what we think it's all about. Jesus comes to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then verses 12 to 13, he comes to adopt us, to give us a chance to truly belong to God's family. Let me read those verses again, because I think they're wonderful. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. People will occasionally say to me, as a Christian, are you one of those born-again believers? As if there are kind of varieties. There isn't. There are those who have lived a life without Jesus and have turned and lived with him. Being born again is what Jesus, the language the Bible uses, where you, are, you die to a life that is going wrong. And you're reborn into a life where God is at the center of it. Where that light shines in the darkness permanently. We get to be a part of God's family, adopted. The Bible talks of being adopted as children into God's family. God as our Father. And it's beautiful and it's life-changing. So why listen to a guy that lived 2,000 years ago? Well, John would argue very simply... That he's God's son. That he's God as a man. That he was eternal, pre-existent, living now. He died, he rose again. He is alone, the one who has all the things within himself that we need. Life, light, forgiveness. He is the only one who is able to take the lost and find them, the dead, and give them life. Somebody wrote a long time ago now uh, this poem called One Solitary Life, which some of you all know very well. But it wrote this about Jesus. He was born in an obscure village, a child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then for three years, as an itinerant preacher, he never had a family. He never owned a home. He never set foot inside a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never wrote a book. He never held office. He did none of the things usually accompanied with greatness. And while he was still a man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends deserted him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. Whilst he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had, his coat. And when he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave. Then they say, Nineteen centuries have come and gone, 
And today, he still is the central figure for all the human race. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of humankind upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Today's talk is an introduction <laughs> to what we're going to continue to say. And I wanted just to set the scene. Because Jesus' words are not just simply good philosophy. It's not simply helpful memes to live by. What he says is deeper. It comes from the mind of God, the heart of God. In fact, he's called the word of God. Almost like he's the embodiment of God's powerful words. And so really, this morning's talk is quite simple. In a world where everyone is trying to get you to listen, who will you listen to? Who have you been listening to? Pray for you. Father God, I believe you've put that on my heart for someone this morning. And Father, you know people, I don't. But Lord, I want to pray for healing. I want to pray, Lord, for ears to hear. Lord, not what's being shouted at them, nor whispered, Lord. But Lord, your words. Father, in this room, so many of us will say thank you for the words that you've spoken over us that have changed our lives. Father, for that person or persons, Father, I beg you that you would, you would make them deaf, Lord, to those voices that bring death. And Lord, that you would waken up their hearing to your words spoken over them. Lord, you want them to know that you love them. You want them to know there is hope. There can be forgiveness. There can be transformation. And Father, I pray that you would just bless that person. Lord, that they would just know you, Lord, properly. I pray for healing, I pray for freedom, I pray for deliverance. And I just pray that you are moved by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>